All right. What's up, church family? Good to see everybody today. Everybody doing all right? Okay. How about this side? How are you guys doing over here? How are you guys doing over here? How's this side? How about you guys? This section right here, how we doing? Uh, you see what I did here? I made it a competition. How about you guys? And then you let it write down. You just do like tank right off like this group. They, got, they were starting to figure it out. And then I don't know what happened. But it's good to see you guys. Good to see you. As uh, Jared mentioned, we are starting a new series called Spent. And, uh, and we are uh, going to begin with series. We're going to be talking about practical tools around finances, uh, your financial life. Okay. So as soon as I say that word, some of you are like, oh, oh my gosh, please don't talk about this. So turn to your neighbor right now and say, chill out, chill out. Tell him that you need to relax. I find that as a pastor in, in teaching about a lot of different subjects, there's a, there's a couple of subjects that most people do not want you to give them advice in. Okay. Uh, one of those subjects is how to raise their kids, okay? Nobody wants suggestions or advice on how to raise your kids, which is really difficult because we got all your kids over in children's ministry right now, and we wish that you would listen a little more to our advice on how to raise your kids, but some of them are just a, such a joy. It's just so much of a pleasure to have them back there. So, now, The other area that a lot of people don't like to have advice in is around finances, um, and it's because it can, be, it can be a pretty stressful area of our lives. It can be a sensitive area around our life, and so uh, I, I do know this, though. All of us have made a mistake, right? All of us have made a mistake. How many of you guys, to be honest, if, if you saw somebody like walking down the street trying to text and walk and they like ran into a pole or tripped over something and fell down, how many of y'all would laugh at them? Okay, how many of y'all, just be honest, okay? Bunch of sadistic, weird people in here, all right? Mean. Not even real good Christians in here. Uh, I would laugh too. I would laugh. I would laugh and then I would go help them, right? Because uh, that, that'd be the nice thing. But I would laugh. Well, you can guarantee this. Heaven does not laugh when you trip. Heaven doesn't laugh when you fall down in your life. Heaven is trying to pick you back up again. And so when it comes to finances, some of us have tripped bad. We have fallen bad. We weren't paying attention and we ran into that pole and it hurt bad. This sermon is not about looking in the past. This sermon is not about trying to bring up stuff and and mistakes and failures. This is not anywhere near condemnation or guilt or anything like that. But it is important that we talk about finances, because all of us have made mistakes. How many have made a mistake financially at one point or another, okay? I mean, all of us have done this. And and I think a great way to kind of take some some stress and some tension out of the room is I'm going to tell you a Boudreaux joke that Pastor Rick told me, okay? So Boudreaux joke. Boudreaux and Thibodeau, uh, they were broke, bad. I mean, doing really, really bad financially. They decide the only way that they can fix the situation is they needed to go to Vegas and do some gambling. How many of y'all know? That's stupid, okay? But they're Cajuns, so it's expected. Uh, so they go to Vegas, and they decide, all right, we got to get some money. we got to get some money back. And so within just a, just a few minutes, really, Boudreaux had lost all his money. Already gone. It's gone. But he noticed that Thibodeau... Thibodeau had these big bags of coins, like so many bags and, and big heavy bags, like he couldn't even carry them. Like he's just dragging them around the casinos and everything. And so Boudreaux goes up to Thibodeau and he says, Thibodeau, where'd you get all that money? He's like, oh, I ain't going to tell you that. I can't tell you that. He's like, come on, Thibodeau, we both here, we both broke, we both trying to get some money. How'd you get the money? You, t- you got to tell me. He's like, I'll tell you, but you can't tell nobody. I won't tell nobody. He leans in, he whispers. There is a machine here 
that every time you put a dollar in, four quarters comes out. (laughs) The title of today's sermon is Don't Be Dumb. (laughs) Don't be dumb. There's a story in Luke chapter 12. Jesus tells a parable of a rich man who was storing up wealth for himself. And a lot of people, their wealth was generated by crops back then. So this guy had had successful crops. And he decided that he was just going to build bigger and bigger barns to store up all of his wealth, store everything up. And he's like, I'm going to store all this up for myself. And then I just want to eat, drink, and be merry. That's what I'm going to do. Which sounds very similar to what people think the American dream is, right? Like we just want to store up tons of wealth for ourselves And then we can just eat, drink, and be merry. Just enjoy having all this wealth. But Jesus says that that person was a fool. He said, they they are dumb. They are dumb. They don't understand that that is not how you're truly wealthy. That understanding true wealth means you understand that there's something bigger than just you. And you are invested in that. You give to that. He says that that person is spent, but they are not spending with God. And there is nothing better than partnering with God. He wants us to be rich towards him. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. So it's saying, look, if if you want to, If you want to be a fool, then you depend on the uncertainty of just having a bunch of money. Now, some of you, now when I read that verse and I look at that and you're like, well, this is awesome. Like, I don't have to listen to the rest of the sermon because I'm not rich. I'm not rich. And I will say, I've never had anybody come up to me in the floor and be like, hey, my name's Joe and I'm rich. So I just want to introduce myself to you because most of us don't consider ourselves rich unless you have some perspective. Because if you look to us and compared to the rest of the world, the average income around the world is $2 a day. $2 a day. Okay, so if you still don't believe me, still don't believe that you are, 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 are rich, that really every person in this room is rich, well, let me give you some under, other indicators. If you own any form of transportation... You are rich. You are rich. If you have a separate house for your means of transportation, you're really rich. It's called a garage. If you have ever watered your grass with drinkable water, you are rich. So you're like, well, that ain't me. I live in an apartment. Oh, so you pay somebody else to water the grass and mow the yard around your apartment. If you wish you could lose weight, you are rich because most of the world does not worry about weight problems because they barely have enough to eat. If you rent a storage unit and pay for it monthly to store all of your extra stuff, you are rich. If you have a separate room for your clothes, you are rich. Most of us, our problems are are really just rich people problems. 
man, getting my teeth cleaned is just so expensive. You rich. My bank just closes way too early. You're filthy rich. Amazon just costs way too much to deliver all the stuff that I'm ordering from them. Rich. I may have to drop my gym membership. Oh, filthy rich. Man, I I think I can only eat out like two or three times this week. Rolling. (laughs) Being wealthy or successful is not against the word of God. And that's not what I'm saying. In fact, there's some big hitters in the word that did a lot for God that were wealthy people. Actually, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all of them were wealthy in their day. Uh, Job was incredibly wealthy. Uh, If you get into the New Testament, Claudius, wealthy. There were some women that actually walked and followed Jesus. Their husbands worked for Herod, and they were very wealthy, and they were the ones that basically were financing Jesus' ministry. These wealthy people. So the issue has never been to have wealth. The question is, does it have you? Because the verse says it is the love of money is the root of all evil. Not that, not that money is the root of all evil. It's when you love it. When it has your heart. When it has your focus. There's two statements that I, I talked about back in the fall. Last fall. And, and, I, and I asked this question. I said, which one of these statements brings more stress and fear and anxiety into your life? The first statement was this, there is no God. The second statement is this, you are completely broke and have no money. Because unfortunately, we live in a culture society where I would suggest that the second statement brings a lot more fear and anxiety than the first statement. It says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the problem is some of us love money way too much. And people who love money, they never have enough. They never have It doesn't matter what their income is. Whether they make $25,000 a year or $5 million a year, they will always want more. They will have a desire to have more. It is the same for everyone in here. It doesn't matter what you make. If you love money you will never feel like you have enough. I will say this. If you make $5 million, I'd love to have coffee with you sometime. Uh, just sit down and just talk about vision and different things. But, uh, but, but people who love money, they, they just never have enough. They have a lust for money. And when you have a lust for money, it's like when you have a lust for anything else. Any of you in this room, if you struggle with an addiction to pornography, I've never met anybody that struggled with an addiction to pornography that came up to me like, Pastor, I just looked at so much pornography this last week. I just had enough. I finally just got my fill. Like that has never happened because people that lust after stuff, they have created a desire that can never be fulfilled. They have to change what their heart wants. Their hearts have to be changed That's the only place that you can find fulfillment. And some of us, we have lost control of our finances. 
And it is like being on a roller coaster. How many of you guys like riding roller coasters? Anybody like, I like riding roller coasters. I love taking my wife on roller coasters. She is hilarious to watch on a roller coaster. She will start praying like you have never heard her pray before. She's praying in tongues. She's prophesying. It's it's amazing. It's awesome. I love to watch it. Uh, I like riding roller coasters, but you would not want to ride a roller coaster that never stopped. Like year after year after year of riding a roller coaster, trust me, you wouldn't enjoy that, but that is exactly how some of us have been living our lives financially, just up and down and all over the place, never being consistent and settling in and finding God's plan and God's purpose and God's direction. And that's what we want to try to zero in on today. How do you get wisdom and control around this? Because I find that so many people You are rummaging through life with your finances. What does it mean to rummage? If you want to know what rummaging looks like, just go to TJ Maxx or Ross. You will see rummaging happening in those places. Because basically, it's just where you're looking through stuff and throwing money at stuff and not even really thinking about what you're doing. Just think, oh, I got to have that. Oh, maybe I have to have that. Oh, that's the last one of that. Oh, I need to hide that over there in some other rack so I can come back and get that later. And then you just kind of rummage through things. You ever been to a garage sale? People rummage at garage sales. You guys know what this looks like. Garage selling, man, it is not a pretty thing. Cody and I, we've had a couple garage sales. We had to go to some marriage counseling after both of them because it gets, it gets a little crazy because you got, you know, you got all the, the scotch tape or the, the masking tape. You're writing on everything with Sharpies. You're staying up until midnight the night before trying to figure out what will somebody be willing to pay for that piece of junk. And so you're putting these just arbitrary numbers on stuff and you start off really strong, but by the end, you've got thousands of items. So you're just like, put it in a box, 25 cents for anything, whatever. And so you borrow tables, you got to go get petty cash the day before. There's been times just like, Cody, if I gave you 600 bucks, can we just not do this at all? Like just avoid the whole process. She's like, no, we got to make some money off this stuff. She gets it from her dad, bless his heart. And so, and, but you know the people that, that show up to these garage sales? You know who you are. You are weird. You show up with your fanny pack, your cash is all rolled. You won't make eye contact with anybody. Your garage sale is supposed to happen at 6 o'clock in the morning. You're there at 5.30 waiting on those people. That garage door opens. You're standing there like a zombie. <laughs> but you won't look at anybody. You just go through and you rummage. <laughs> Talking to yourself. Oh, well, I could use that over there. My cat would love that. Then garage sale people, they get mad at you if your garage sale is just not up to par. <laughs> hey, you got any used microwaves? Uh, no, sir, sorry. We're not. <laughs> what kind of a garage sale is this? <laughs> sir, we did not market that we were selling microwaves. <laughs> it said electronics. <laughs> like, sorry, we don't have any used microwaves. Just angry at you. Cody won't let me hang out around garage sales. She won't let me have because she has some coffee table out there that has 40 bucks on it. Somebody come up to me and I, I, they won't look at me in the eye. Well, hey, what can you do for that? What can you, can you do any better over here on this, uh, this coffee table over here? Can you do any better on that? I'm like, you can have that for five bucks. <laughs> because my reasoning is this. If I don't get that thing out of here, I'm going to have to haul it to the dump. 
they are paying me $5 to haul that junk off with their zombie self, okay? So I'm like, take it. Take it. And Cody's like, no, we got to make money on the phone. We're going to be rich. It is not worth the emotional trauma to make $250 on a garage sale. Can I get an amen? amen? I don't really know what that has to do with living wise financially, but I'm glad I got that off my chest. So today I want to give you three steps of financial wisdom. And for three easy payments of $29.99, you can have all these steps. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hey, but, but speaking of three easy payments, <laughs> y'all know nothing wise happens after about 11 o'clock at night, right? About 12 years ago, and that includes for any of y'all dating, okay? Nothing wise happens after 10 o'clock at night, okay? Nothing, nothing wise. Some fun stuff can happen after 10 o'clock at night, but nothing wise will ever happen if you're dating. So just trying to give some wisdom on that. Cody and I were staying up late, probably binge watching some loss. This is back when we weren't like pastoring a whole church. We were doing youth, and so we could be irresponsible. And uh, watching TV, and uh, no offense, I'm sure, I'm sure our youth pastors are totally responsible everything they do. And an infra-commercial came on for these knives that were amazing. I mean, you could just toss a tomato in the air and slice through it like a hot knife through butter. And we were entranced. Like, oh my goodness, we don't have knives like these knives. These are amazing. Our lives will be better when we have people over and we're doing ministry. They'll have a sharp knife. Before you know it, you will talk yourself into it. It's 11 o'clock at night. You might as well be on crack because you're doing some stupid stuff. So we bought them. Like, like, I don't know how much they were, like 250 bucks or something like that. And you get on there. You get on there. And you're talking to them, they're like, oh, yes, sir. And for only $13 more, we will throw in another steak knife so you can have, don't you, it only comes with 11 but if you pay $13 more, then you have an even number. And they talk you into this thing, and then you got a big wood block you got to get with it. So we've had the same knives for 17 years, and we are not getting new knives until Jesus comes back. <laughs> have wisdom. Number one, stay away from debt whenever possible. Stay away from debt whenever possible. I can't find anywhere in the Bible, and I've looked, where God says, I'm going to use debt to bless you. I just want to bless my sons and daughters, and I'm going to do it with debt. Aren't I a good heavenly father? Have some debt. But some of us treat debt like it came from God. And we'll even like throw God's name in there with it. Man, I got a brand new bass boat. God just blessed me with that bass boat. I'm like, really? Like it, it's paid off? Well, I mean, I got, no, I had to finance it, but I got a really good APR on this thing. Like I'm only gonna have to pay on it for about 15 years. Okay, well then God didn't. The bank gave you a loan. 
No, God blessed me with this boat. I'm like, well, stop paying on it. And the bank will come and take your blessing away from you. Because God doesn't use debt to bring a blessing into your life. There is one kind of debt that I think could be okay. And that's your, that's your mortgage. But I think even with that, you have to be really wise with this. Uh, in reality, if you, if you buy a house, if you own a house, it can be an investment because most property appreciates in value. Okay, so it can be an investment, but I do think you should consider these questions even before you go into a mortgage payment. First question is, do I have six months of expenses in emergency funds put away? At least six months of, of emergency expenses in a fund. Can I make at least a 15% or more down payment on the house? Do I have enough cash to cover all the closing costs and moving costs? Is the house payment 25% or less of your monthly income? Can I afford ongoing maintenance and utilities for this house? Like some of y'all, you might, you might be living in an apartment right now, and so you're getting into a house that have a yard. Well, you're going to have to mow the yard. So have you planned to be able to buy something to cut the grass? All those things. Can I afford the ongoing maintenance? Now, if your answer to these questions is yes, then I, then I think that house debt could actually be an investment, a mortgage payment. Um, and, and I think ultimately it would be a goal to own something instead of rent something. Because when you own it, you're at least putting into that investment. Proverbs 22.7 says this, The rich rule over the poor, and the, pow- and the borrower is slave to the lender. That is so true. Being in debt, man, it, is, it feels like bondage, slavery. Especially when those, those people start calling you. And then it feels like, oh, I won't go to jail. That is a very stressful place to be. And I've never heard this. Man, my debt just gives me so much peace. <sighs> just so much joy. When I get my credit card statement... <laughs> Oh, man, I, I just break out in a praise dance. I'm just so thankful for it. Like, I've never, I've never heard that before. So how do you know if your credit cards are out of control? Are you paying for necessities with your credit cards, like toilet paper? When you're at a place where you're paying for necessities with credit cards, there's a chance that your credit is out of control. Are you transferring balances between credit cards? Just constantly. Just trying to find that next car that has 0%. Just keep transferring balances. Maybe you've consolidated your credit card loans, which can be a good thing, but you still have the credit cards. You didn't get rid of them. When you think that a new credit card is like getting a raise, you have a problem with credit. That is an issue. And some of us, we think that because we have a high credit limit, that you can afford it. But that's not the case. They will love, anybody would love to give you a credit card. And love to give you a huge credit rate because they'd much rather you be paying 21% on $6,000 than on $3,000. 
sometimes, if, you, if you're at a place where you hear someone else say, man, I just really, I, I can't afford that right now. And in your mind, you're like, well, you need to be managing your finances better. If you got a credit card, you could afford it. You have a problem with credit card spending. Because that other person is not the person that needs money management. It, it, it's probably you. So how do you overcome this? Well, it's a really easy answer, but a difficult place to get to. You pay cash for stuff. Because when you pay cash for stuff, you feel it. There's this great quote from Dave Ramsey. It says, when you start spending real cash, you feel it. If you carry Uncle Benjamin Franklin around for a while, he becomes a part of the family. And when you have to put him up for adoption, it hurts. You know, retailers will say that you will spend 50% more if you have a car. That's why every single retailer is trying to get you to sign up for their credit card. Because they want you to spend more money. Also, be a good manager. Be a good manager. Get on a budget. You need a plan. You need to have a plan. Luke 14, 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. I don't know why you'd want to, but... Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost so that you have enough money to complete it? Now, I don't know why building a tower back in the day must have been a really cool thing to do and why people would want to do that, but I do know this. You would have a plan because you would look really silly if you just went and started building it and didn't have a plan of how to finish it. Nobody's going out building houses without blueprints. Nobody's doing that. You will have a plan. You'll know what it's going to cost. You'll have a plan before you start. It's good to be a good manager. You'd never build anything in your life, a marriage. You wouldn't raise your kids. Your job is not going to work out if you don't have a plan. So one plan, one system, you may want to go to if you're trying to get back to a place of spending cash, getting away from credit, an envelope system. Okay, this is something Cody and I had to do when we first got married because we both came from different backgrounds of how we spend money. Very different backgrounds. And we need to get on the same page of how we're going to manage our finances. And so when we got married, you use the envelope system, simply this. You go through what you feel like you're going to need to spend money on or even want to spend money on a monthly basis and you put a certain amount of money in each one of those categories. So we had an envelope for date nights. We had an envelope for eating out. We had an envelope for car maintenance. We had an envelope for anything and everything. And we, we decided, all right, this is, this is a, a fair amount of money to put in this. And we had to make some adjustments because we were newly married and didn't understand anything about how some things cost. But we put that money in there. But here's the thing. When we get, we get to the end of the month and we put $50 in our car maintenance envelope and we didn't have any car maintenance that month, we weren't like sweet date night no we left it in there and we put another $50 in there because eventually you got to put freaking tires on a car and that is the most asinine frustrating thing that any of us have to do in owning a vehicle is putting tires because you can't go anywhere without good tires it just costs so much and they got you because they're the only ones that can do it for you. But eventually, you're going to need that money to go towards that. But what it helped us do is it helped us realize the things that we really need and the things that we don't. And we would spend. And then eventually, as we 
as we increase in finances. And here's the thing, like, when we first got married, we were broke, and I was not getting paid much. I don't know what our, our total income per month was. I was only making 600 bucks a month in ministry. And, and I think Cody might have been making, she's probably making 1000 bucks, maybe, I don't know, probably less than that, 800 bucks a month, something like that. We were living in a single wide trailer infested with mice. Somebody gave us a bed. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> back to the garage sale thing. One man's trash, another man's treasure. Your feet were in those shoes. That's just, okay. Uh, but we just, we took what we could get, man. We, people donated a couch to us. And, and it was disgusting. But we, like, found, like, cloth. I think we, like, took it from the church that they were using for some set they were doing for an Easter thing. We're like, hey, we could cover that ugly couch with that. And that would be way better. Like, we just did whatever we had to do. And we saved. We were just as wise as we could be. We, we made some mistakes. I think it's also important to be a hard worker. Be a hard worker. And there's a major soapbox. I could get on with this. I'm going to try to stay off of it. I'm just going to go to the Word. It says this in Proverbs 10. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands brings wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son. But he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. Now, some of you may say, well, I'm, not, I don't, I'm out of a job right now. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find work. I still think you could work. I still think you can work. I, I don't think it's a matter of whether or not you're making money or not. I think it's a matter of God knowing what you need for your character, for you to be the sons and daughters that he's created you to be. And God has created us. To produce, God has created us to be diligent. He knows if we aren't, we're going to slip into a mindset that is not healthy for us. And so maybe you're not working right now because you don't have a job, but there is some work to be done somewhere because maybe you have a neighbor who is sick and you can go over and pick up sticks in their yard and help them clean up a little bit. Whatever it might be. Well, I'm on disability right now. Okay. But you could still work somewhere. You could still do something. If, you are, if you're not sure what to do, just come on up here to the church. And I will direct you towards Pastor Bernie, who is over all of our facilities. And I promise you, we can find something for you to do. But I think it's important, not just because you want to make money working, but because you need to work for your character. Now, here's the deal, though. We, we aren't living in a culture, a society, and a generation that sees this because we think we all deserve more than we actually deserve. We, just, we think we deserve way, we, we think we are way more entitled than we actually are. I remember, like, back when I was in Bible school, like, college was way less expensive back when I was in college than it is now. And it's way more expensive. But here's the thing. I was in Bible school, and I was working at a church full-time for nothing, and I still would work. I would go and do landscaping jobs. I would go and find extra jobs here and there. I would still work. I would take a Sabbath, but I would work. I would still work. How many of y'all, when you were going to college, you were working a full-time job? Now, here's the thing. Most of you, when you were in college, it was way less expensive than it is now. But I find that so many people that are in college now, they don't work at all. And I'm like, how in the world? Well, I got a student loan. Oh. I read a stat, heard about a stat, which is crazy, okay? And now, here's the deal. If you have student loan, once again, this is not looking in the rearview mirror. 
If you're there, you're there. I wouldn't get more. And, and you just do the best you can to get rid of that debt as fast as you can. But I read that the current student loan debt in our nation is equivalent to the national debt 30 years ago. The national, the whole debt of a whole country 30 years ago is the same amount. Of, so I think that's gotten a little out of control. Now, is education important? Yes, it is. Yes, it is, absolutely. But I, I think you may have to work. I think you may have to work, and you may have to work hard. God knows what you need better than you know what you need. He's called us, and God is a provider. God does a, He is a provider. He provided you with hands and a brain. He wants you to use those things to the best of your ability. Now, if you just can't work because of physical reasons or whatever, God knows where you're at. But some of us, we know, if we're really honest with ourselves, we know if we're working hard or not. If we're doing what we can, be a hard worker. I know people that complain about money all the time, but they won't work. And I'm just like, I don't know what to tell you. I know what the Word says. This is where you're going to live until you decide to turn it around. I know it's quiet in here, and I knew it was going to be quiet in here. I'm stepping on all kinds of toes. It's because I love you. Be a hard worker. Also, be wise with spending. You need to be wise with your spending. Luke 12, 15. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Okay, so there's really kind of three lifestyles when it comes to this with your spending financially. And all of us live in one of these three, no matter what our income is. No matter what it is, we all live in one of these three. The first one is this, living above our means. Now, this is where it doesn't matter what you make. Living above your means is always going to mean you're going to have more debt and way more stress if you live above your means. Another option is live within our means. Okay, and this is pretty good. And I will say that a balanced cash flow will give you way more peace than the pool you think you need. Way more peace. But then another option is living below our means. And this is one that I find that a lot of people, and even Christians, they never consider this one. Like, what does it look like to just live below our means where we don't actually spend everything that we have? I learn daily what I can live without because I don't get it and I'm okay. I'm more than okay. Like I find like when I hold off and, I, and I, there's something that I could buy and I could justify buying it really quick. You know, a, a lot of us, are, us men or, or anybody that's like, you're the main provider for your household, it'd be really easy to like, man, I'm the, I provide for everything. These kids just eat it all. Spend it all. Break it all. I, don't, I deserve to get something for myself. You could justify it real quick. But you know what? I feel so much better when I could have and I don't, and then I have way more peace. Way more peace. I'd rather have that. I'd rather have that. Living below your means. Please wait to get what you want. Wait to get what you want. 
We, are, we live in such a like here and now society. It's like we treat everything in life like it's the drive-thru at McDonald's. I just want to get what I want right now. Right now. It's just not a wise way to live. The basic needs of life is not food, shelter, and Netflix. Although some of you would like to argue with me about it. They're like, oh, I think you're wrong. Here's a good way to think about this. If you... If you had six months to live, what would be most important? If you had six months to live, what would be most important? Because I don't think anybody here is like, I need another pair of designer jeans. I need those granite countertops if I got six months. I need another toy. Like None of us would think that way. Another thing, be futuristic and invest. Think about the future and invest. Proverbs 13.11, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase. He'll increase it. I think you need to be really, really careful about anything out there that says you can get rich quick. There, there, there are some schemes out there. Um, because here's the thing. You may get a bunch of money, wealthy, rich, quick. But your character can't sustain you where you haven't developed it. And earning little by little over time gives you the character that you need that if you do get wealthy, you are wise with it. Because if you don't have that, you're going to be crazy if you step into a bunch of money all of a sudden. So even if it's like foolproof, man, it's just... I got into this and this product, and then all of a sudden I was just rolling. But is your character ready for it? You thought about it. Is your heart in the right place? I would suggest this. A quick stat. This will floor you. If it doesn't floor you, I'm talking to you. Uh, last year, the average car payment in the U.S. was $478 over 84 months financing. Like people are financing cars for 84 months. Okay, now you may be in that boat. If you took that same amount and, and starting at age 30, you took that same amount and you put it in a mutual fund, you just put it in something, even low yielding, back. I mean, it doesn't even have to be that much. You just put it in a savings account. But if you just put it in a, a mutual fund or something like that, by the time you're retired, you'd have around $5 million. So the SUV is amazing. But that payment is killing you. So is it worth it? Is it worth it? In the long run, invest. I encourage everybody to live by a 10 10 80 principle. At least this, 10, 10, 80. Okay, so you give your first 10% back to God. We know as believers, as Christians, that's a, that's, it's a given. You give back to the church. It's clear in the word of God. We return the tithe. Then save 10%. Save 10% after that. Okay, now that may be something you put into an investment or whatever it is, but you, you take another 10% and then you live off of 80%. Look at that. <laughs> 
I had 10 $1 bills up here right now, and I said, well, one of those dollar bills is God's immediately, so don't even look at that as it's yours because it's not according to the Word of God. But then you, you should also, just, it's just wise to take one more dollar and you go put it in savings. You put it away. And then you have $8 to do whatever you want with. To me, that just sounds like a really good deal. And I would encourage you to have three to six months salary saved. I would encourage you to do that. And I know some, that sounds, you work towards these things. You've got to start somewhere. But work towards these things. If you make $3,000 a month, you need between nine dollars to $18,000 in cash put away as an emergency fund. Okay, because here's the thing. You need to save for a rainy day because eventually it's going to rain. And if you don't have something in an emergency fund, it will accentuate every stress, fear, and every negative thing that happens when it does rain. Do, do it for your marriage. Do it for your kids. If you're not thinking this way, you're not prepared, when it does happen, and it happens to all of us, it will happen. Something will happen that you're not planning for. If you have this emergency fund, it lifts so much of the emotional, mental, psychological anguish that comes with it. I would ask for amens, but I don't think you're in the mood. That's okay. Last thing is this. Don't wander away from God with your money. Don't wander away from God with it. 1 Timothy 6, 9. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving money, have wandered away from true faith and pierce themselves with many sorrows. Loving money. And, and getting away from loving God. So I'm going to say something that really should be communicated by a guest speaker. <laughs> It'd be a lot easier, trust me. But I love you. But I, this is what I don't get. I don't get how someone can say, I, I'm a committed follower of Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin. I believe, and I've confessed him as my Lord. He didn't just save me from my sin, I've surrendered my life to him. And, and I know because of that, I have a hope for eternal life. I have a hope of heaven. I, I have a confidence and who I am, I have so much. I have joy, I have peace. I, I don't understand how someone could communicate those things and then go weeks or months without giving to the work of the Lord. Like, I, I don't understand that. I don't connect with that. And I promise you this, I wouldn't connect with that even if I wasn't a pastor. Because there was a lot of years when I wasn't a pastor and I just didn't understand, like, None of this is mine. None of this is mine. None of you would go to a restaurant and order a bunch of food and get your fill. And then when you're done, just, just stand up and skip out. Now, if you had done that before, 
You don't want to get caught. You go to jail. You know, it's like stealing. But I find that sometimes we come into the presence of God and He fills us. But here's the difference. The difference is you will never have a bill in this church. You never have a bill with God. God paid the bill through His Son, Jesus. But what I'm talking about is just your heart understanding that and giving out of a place of gratefulness and understanding it's all His anyways. That's all it is. Our lights are on. Our AC is working. We're doing a lot for the kingdom. We're helping people weekly. Stories that you'll never hear. But they're happening. We're in a healthy place as a church. We are. Um, And I, I could break it down for you. I think even those of you that know a lot about finances, you would be very, very proud with the way that we run our church. And so the issue is not that we need your money. That is not it. And I know some of you, you... You've stayed away from church for a long time because you felt like the church just wants your money. You may be feeling that way right now, but I want you to know that if you are feeling that way right now, it is not coming from me. That is not coming from me. It's not coming from this church. It may be coming just from the the battle that is happening in your heart. One day, this rich young ruler, he came into the presence of Jesus and he was, he was, it was obvious that he had a lot of admiration for Jesus. Like he, he, he came to Jesus and he's just like, man, I want to follow you. You're awesome. This is amazing. And then he tried to convince him, like, I'm a really good, I'm, I'm a really good person. Like I've done, I, I've obeyed all these commands. I've done all this stuff. And so I'm, I'm, I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready. I'm ready to be a disciple. I got this. And Jesus says, okay, well, that's great. There's just one more thing you need to do. That's sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And it says that that young man walked away depressed because he was so wealthy. Jesus was not asking him for his money. He was asking him for his heart. But his money already had his heart. So he didn't feel like there was any way that he could accomplish that. And so what I'm saying is this. In this area, the areas of your life that are the most out of control will always be the areas that you have not given God control in. If your marriage is out of control, you haven't given your marriage to God. If your kids are out of control, you have not given your kids to God. Whatever area of your life that is out of control and out of balance and causing you stress and anxiety and anger and fear and all those things, that is just an area that is not 100% committed to God. But so many of those areas start with this area. And that's why half of the parables that Jesus spoke about was about finances. 40% of the communication that he did over the course of his ministry was about finances because he knew how quickly this would control our hearts. You may be hurting right now. When we get connect cards every week and we, we get prayer requests, a reoccurring theme is there's always a few of those cards. I'm just really struggling financially. I'm struggling financially. I'm struggling financially. Look, we have life groups that can help you. We, we, have, we have groups that can help you get a financial plan and get a lot of this turned around, but it starts as a lordship issue. That's where it starts. It starts as a lordship issue. Is God really the Lord of your life? Because until you settle that, it doesn't matter what comes after. Until you settle that, it's going to be difficult for you to have peace in this area of your life. 
But I want to speak something over you this morning because I know some of you are hurting right now and I want to declare what God would want for your life. It does, it's going to have to come in a place of surrender for you. But if you're ready to do that, like you're like, God, okay, I get it. I broke, I'm broke. Like literally, but spiritually, I'm just broken, God. I want to speak some things over you. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Let me pray this over you. Right now in the name of Jesus, I declare that your family is blessed with God's supernatural wisdom and you have clear direction for your life. I declare that you're blessed with creativity, with courage, with ability, and with abundance. I declare that each of you are blessed with self-control and self-discipline in Jesus' name. I declare that you're not only blessed with a great family, but you're also blessed with great friends, with good health, and with faith, favor, and fulfillment. I declare that God will give ideas with success, with supernatural strength, with promotion, with divine protection over your life. I declare that everyone in your household will be blessed with an abundant heart and with a positive outlook on life in Jesus' name. I declare that any negative evil word that has been spoken against you is broken and will not be received in Jesus' name. I break that spirit of poverty, that poverty mindset in Jesus' name. And I declare that you are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. And whatever you put your hands to will be blessed and will prosper for his kingdom. I declare that the light of God shines upon you. That you'll be like a city on a hill, never hidden in Jesus' name. I declare that when the enemy tries to come against you or your family, that it'll have to scatter seven different directions. And I declare that the gates of hell cannot prevail against your family. I declare that over you. Some of you have never surrendered to God as your Lord. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Everything we talked about would still be wise things for you to do. But you will not have peace until you've surrendered your life to him. If you're here today and you're ready, you're ready, just you know that you're a sinner. Your sin separates you from God. And you need to be saved from your sin. Maybe you need to come back to God. You know you're away from him right now. You need to rededicate your life to him. I'm not going to embarrass you. I think it is important that you're bold about this. Jesus boldly took your sin to the cross. And all I'm asking you to do is be bold enough just to, between me, you, and God, just admit, that's me. I'd love to pray for you today. If that's you, nobody looking around, I want you to raise your hand. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. But if you're ready to commit your life to Jesus, to surrender to him, thank you, guys. Got it. As soon as I see you, can put it down. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Got it, guys. Thank you, guys. There at the back. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I'm away from God. I'm away from relationship with him. I need to come back to him. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Got it. Anybody else? Christians are praying. Anybody else? Okay. Father God, I thank you for every one of those people that just raised their hands. I don't know everything that's going on in life, but you know every detail. And you know what they need. But right now, they're confessing what they need most is relationship with you. And so right there in your chair, just say this. Just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I can't save myself. 
I can't pay the price for it. I can't be good enough. I can't go to church enough. But I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me and that he paid the price. And I thank you that he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. He defeated my sin. He defeated death. And right now, Jesus, I surrender my life to you as my Lord. Thank you that you saved me from my sin, but I don't, I don't want you just to save me from my sin and then try to do my own thing again. I wanna do what you want me to do. So help me to understand your purpose. Help me to understand your word. Help me to understand what you have for me. Lead me by your spirit. Lead me by your word. Help me to be connected to the body of Christ so I can be strengthened and encouraged. I give my life to you, God. Give me a new life in you. Heal me. God, I pray that we would be a people that see clearly the kingdom, that see clearly the need that we have in ourselves to live for something bigger. God, I thank you that you're gonna use your word, that from, from the, there are people in here that love you, God, they love you, they love you. But Lord, there's been this area of their life that has controlled them that has been driving them. And I thank you that today they're finding freedom in it in Jesus' name. God, as they surrender it to you, and I thank you, God, that you're gonna help them and you're gonna help us as their church to help them walk in the path of wisdom. Because God, you've got big things that you wanna do in us and through us. Big things. God, we wanna accomplish everything that you have for us, for your kingdom. We thank you for the opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. We had a bunch of people raising their hand to get right with Jesus. Let's give God some glory for that. Let's give them a hand.